Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm joined this time for the last time in 2021 by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Dominic Booth. Hello and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, it's been a year where we started with United lacking an identity on the pitch and without a major trophy in a few years. And it's ended one with United lacking an identity on the pitch and still without a major trophy. Samuel, we were just saying before we came on air, game against Burnley on the 30th of December, the last Premier League game of the calendar year. You said that if you weren't a United or Burnley fan, you you don't know why anyone would watch that game. Um, yeah, what did you make of it at Old Trafford? United at least got back to winning ways with the 3-1, but against a Burnley side who haven't played in such a long time, who looked quite rusty themselves, um, what can United fans take from that? Or, or do you think it is just a case of moving on quickly? Uh, it was a really peculiar game in that United found themselves 3-0 up without being anywhere near their optimum or uh, particularly impressing too much, I thought. Um, the three goals, one was from, an, I mean, it was an overhit touch from Ronaldo. McTominay uh, took it very well. The other one was an own goal. The, the third one was was a tap-in. I thought that was quite reflective of the, the way the game was developing. And, and Burnley, aside from, from the goal they scored, probably had four reasonable openings. I think there was the McNeil... Shot at the far post, Woods header. Wood should have played Lennon in for for a one on one, and I think before that there was a shot that that Wan Bissaka blocks. Not you wouldn't classify all of them as outright chances, but certainly half chances at the very least. But Burnley are one of those teams that are liable to let you off the hook because they're not a particularly clinical side. They don't score many goals. They did have a number of players missing as well. Um, but I thought in the first half, certainly they gave a, a very good account of themselves, but at no point did the game really feel like a contest. As I said, Burnley started the game really well, but United should still have gone ahead earlier than they did with that Ronaldo one-on-one. And then moments later, McTominay scored a very good goal and, and showed the merits of of having a, def- a specialist defensive midfielder in the team, really, in that w- although Matic didn't you know, particularly impress with what he did with the ball, just his presence allowed McTominay off the leash and he went ahead and scored. He could have scored a couple of other goals as well. One good save from Hennessy. The other one uh, was a very good strike and you know the keeper should be saving that. But it was it was still an impressive hit from McTominay and, and, and he was by, by far and away the best player on the pitch. So it was certainly a vast improvement um, on the Newcastle game. I mean, how could it not be? That 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 really was, as far as draws go, was about as shambolically as, as United have, have played uh, w- without losing in, in recent times. And I don't think many people really expected a shock against Burnley, but Burnley do have form for taking points off United and, and making it difficult for them, especially at Old Trafford. They've, they've gone 2-0 up there, I think, three times in the last last four years, more or less. Um, and, and they obviously had that that uh, win there in, in January 2020. So sometimes you can't underestimate uh, the, the merits of actually getting a win against Burnley, despite where they are in the league at the moment. 
And other than McTominay's performance, I thought Shaw made a, a good return to the side. Uh, I think when when he's at his optimum and, and Tellez at his optimum, there's, there's still Shaw is still by by far and away the better of those two left backs. On the other side, there was no way that Wan Bissaka was was an upgrade on Dallow. So I, I don't think, although the front four was a lot more conducive to the system Rangnick wants to play. I don't necessarily think that will be a completely unchanged side when they come up against Wolves on Monday. And Wolves, in a lot of ways, they're kind of like a um, an enhanced version of Burnley in that they're compact, they're aggressive, um, they don't score a lot of goals particularly, but they've got a bit more about them, that they're more of a continental version of, of a Sean Dyke side, if, if that is at all possible. So that will be a harder game and, and United might not be able to, might might not be let off the hook as, as much as they were against Burnley, but it was certainly a progressive um, step taken in that win on Thursday night, it was. Yeah, you're losing track. We're sort of in that, that haze, aren't we, between Christmas and New Year? This should come out through here on, on New Year's Eve and you'll probably be listening to it on New Year's Day, looking ahead to that game on Monday. Dom, before we came on air, you, you may be off with a slightly different opinion that, you know, it is only Burnley at home, but maybe you saw more positives from that. I mean, in terms of just looking at it, just as a result, it was another game where United didn't keep a clean sheet. I know Ralph Ranić's been been really keen on trying to ensure United's defensive solidity gets there. It's Newcastle and Burnley now have not kept clean sheets. But in terms of the positives, were there any other players that stood out for you, or any other areas in which you were impressed with United? Yeah, I thought the attacking fluidity in the first half an hour, um, first half maybe extended to. I thought that was was very good, and I thought that. Um, Actually, the fact that Bruno Fernandes wasn't in the side, obviously enforced due to suspension, I thought that actually played in United's favour um, with the way that Sancho and Greenwood were getting in between the lines, cutting into those sort of inside channels. I thought that was that was really positive. And obviously McTominay had a, a really good game in midfield, which I didn't expect because I, I tweeted that the McTominay-Matic partnership usually doesn't go too well. I think it's got a pretty horrendous track record that Basak Sahir game comes to comes to mind when I think of, of that partnership but um, he was very very impressive and I think maybe my optimism about the result stems from well A I've been watching England play in the Ashes for the last few weeks so any sort of positivity from a, a, a team that I'm following is, is is a good thing and then also comparing it to that United performance against Newcastle which was Possibly the nadir of the season. I know that sounds bizarre to say when they've been walloped by Liverpool at home and performed poorly in so many other games, beaten by Watford 4-1. But that Newcastle game, I think if um, if Eddie Howe's team had, had anything about them, then they would have put United to, to, to bed 3 or 4-1, really. So the Burnley game was certainly an improvement on that. There seems to be the, a bit of sharpness coming back. And I think Rangnick said it. He was pleased with the energy levels they showed and it's it's obviously a stepping stone of a performance. It's not a, it's not one to, to celebrate long into the night, but I think there's enough positives there that Randick will will see some progress. Yeah, like you said, I think that if you can go on a, a bit of a run now, and United do traditionally have quite a good form in January as well. That you know it, it just becomes a result. It becomes three points and gets United a bit closer to to where they need to be. But of course, they are already so far off the pace being set by by the other teams, and particularly the one on the other side of Manchester. Samuel, in terms of maybe the other players who played and maybe the players who didn't play. Were you surprised by by the team selection? The, the fact that Bruno Fernandes, I mean, we've been saying, I think, on the podcast quite openly maybe the last month or so that maybe dropped is probably the word, rested, another word, way to put it, if you want to be a bit kinder to him. He's just not, he's just not sort of fit into this. Or suspended in Fernandes's case. Yeah. But it's been long overdue, hasn't it, that he's dropped out of the team. Like Dom said, there was a 
they looked better as a cohesive unit going forward. It suits Greenwood, suits Sancho. But were you surprised that we didn't see Donny van der Beek? I know he gets his weekly shout-out on the pod, and even when Jesse Lingard was back in the squad, were you surprised that you didn't see either of those starting the match? Yeah, uh, not... not Well, in, no, no, with, with van der Beek. Uh, <laughs> um, I think looking at the changes... Rashford was probably the only one that I'd have said was was outright dropped. Varane has um, rang it confirmed afterwards. He said he's he's easing him back in. He doesn't want to, if essentially he doesn't want to make this mistake that Salskar made, which was rushing him back in and Varane doing it, suffering another muscular injury at fullback. They were fresh. They're freshening up there. Um, although Fred was really poor against Newcastle in the first half. I, I really didn't see that as an outright demotion. I think there have been times where Matic should have been used more this season and it made more sense to to rotate there. And, and Rangnick said afterwards that Matic was playing a kind of a, a quarterback role. I mean, that, that wasn't obvious to me, but it was it was quite an interesting breakdown of uh, the logic behind playing him with McTominay. And of course, it worked very well. With, with those two there, you, you don't really see a... Um, a specialist distributor to to the front four at all, and, and that was maybe a worry. But McTominay more than compensated for that by by getting forward and, and being a constant goal threat. Uh, so going back to uh, Rashford, I mean there was there was no justification for starting him at Newcastle or against Norwich or against Palace. Uh, he, he had that you know, initially encouraging return from injury when he scored a few goals and and looked sharp. But even in that Atlanta game where he scored a world second goal in the second half, he was he was quite profligate, and you could maybe put that down to him just coming back from injury, and it was his first start back since uh, since the Euros and undergoing shoulder surgery. But I just thought at Newcastle, and and I thought really for, for most of the time that Rangnick has been there, that that Rashford is not conducive to that system, and Fernandez isn't really either. Um, I mean his. His playmaker privileges, I suppose, expired quite some time ago because he's just been out of form for for such a long time. And it has been unusual the way Rangnick has gone about managing uh, the attackers in the up until uh, the game last night. The, the, the first attacking substitution made in his previous league games, uh, it was the he was picking on. On, on the harshest recipient, if you like, in the I don't think Sancho should have gone off first against Palace or Norwich, and I certainly don't think Greenwood should have made way ahead of Rashford or Fernandez at Newcastle. It was it was moot last night because the game was done and dusted with you know, pretty much a half to play in the end because Burnley weren't much of a threat in the second half. But although it's still a work in progress, I thought that front four was much more aligned with what. Rangnick would want from um, a front four in this 4-2-2-2 formation and it just remains to be seen whether he would whether he will sorry uh, restore Fernandes immediately when he's back from from his one game ban against Wolves with Van der Beek there'll be something that comes out about that over the weekend in in the pre-Wolves preview Uh, but it, it, it is peculiar that all this time on and, and a second manager into his United career, he is still really not getting a look in. I, I don't think Rangnick necessarily sees him as one of the two tens, the players he's used there already. Uh, Van der Beek, you wouldn't really bracket with with those players, even though he, he made his name at Ajax as a playmaker. And if you're playing him as one of the two midfielders, I suppose you always have to play Matic because McTominay's not 
um, doesn't want to be a defensive midfielder, I don't think, and he, he's shown over the last year or so that he's got um, merits as, an, as a more attack-minded midfielder. Fred has been used in a more advanced role by Rangnick and, and Michael Carrick over the last month or so since Solskjaer was sacked. So really, it, it is getting to the point now with Van der Beek where you do wonder what is the point keeping him beyond beyond this season because I think realistically he's not going to go in January. Um, there's, it just causes too much commotion there. If he goes, they have to bring a midfielder in. They have to be certain that that midfielder is the right recruit um, in, in January and is going to have an impact immediately. And that is very, very, I mean, it's easier said than done there. And then you've got the Pogba uh, situation to factor into it. Not that anybody's expecting him to leave in January either, but to, to have ended 2021 with two Premier League starts. And those two starts were utterly meaningless as well against Leicester and Wolves. Mass rotation in both games ahead of far more significant games against Liverpool in the league and Real in the Europa League final. It, it, it could hardly have gone any worse for Van der Beek. And even last night, you'd have thought, given the way the game was going, it was completely logical to bring him on and give him some minutes. And in the end, he, he still doesn't get a look in and... I th- I think I looked it up today. The amount of times he's been unused is something like 35 times he's been an unused sub for United. So um, unless something drastically changes within the next five months, uh, he has got to be pushing for for a move in the summer. Yeah, like I said, particularly with that World Cup as well at the end of the year. If the Netherlands do qualify, then he's got to get himself back in the international frame as well. Don, before we sort of get on to 2021 as a year in review, I was going to ask you, considering we've got the founding member of the Fred fan group here, what what <laughs> what the case is with United's midfield? Because as Samuel said there, that there does seem to be sort of a blueprint in place there, that if United sign a successor to Matic, then you've got more licence to use our Fred or McTominay in that advanced role. And ultimately, it does look like United's future is without Fred and McTominay starting together. You know, to, If they really do want to challenge for the title, it's, it's one or the other, really. For, your, for yourself, I mean, I, I can guess maybe which, where you might side, but what do you make of that situation? Because at the moment, they do seem to be that reliable yet restrictive partnership. But in the long term, it seems unfathomable that they could both sort of be starting together. Yeah, I agree with that. And I agree with what Samuel said about McTominay. I don't think he's a a long-term option for the, for the anchor role, if you're going to call it that, in what what is sort of becoming a 4-1-1-4. Now, with, with Rangnick's system, I know people are obsessed with the four two two two, but that's not really what it actually is because the four players have played last night in, in the attacking positions. Neither Greenwood or Sancho are number 10s and Matic played a lot deeper than McTominay. So if that's the way he wants to play or if that's a, a blueprint going forward, e- either way, if United play a different system, they still need a proper holding midfielder. So they do need a, a long-term successor to Matic um, and one of Fred or McTominay in the, in the other position. My understanding is that this... Um, Amadou Haidara, who they're, they're interested in, there's, there's there's something in those links. I, my understanding is he's not an out-and-out number six defensive midfielder. So is he a replacement for Pogba or Van der Beek if one of those go in the summer or both? And then who is the long-term defensive midfield signing? Is it Declan Rice? He's he's not going to come cheaply at all, 100 million, or 100 million or more. Has Rangnick got some other genius recruitment option in his back pocket. He's obviously been brought to the club as um, a transfer guru with his record at RB Leipzig, etc. So it's a bit of a puzzle to work out, I think, over the next few months around Nick. He's probably 
going to continue to do what he's what he's done and play a few different options in there. Um, you know, we even saw Juan Mata and, and Bruno Fernandez play in deeper positions in, in the last few games. So I don't quite know what to make of it. I, I do think United obviously it's an obvious thing to say they need that that defensive midfield signing because Matic isn't getting any younger. Um and as I said, it could be two or more high profile midfield sign uh, midfield departures in the summer. So therefore you need two or maybe even three incomings. Yeah. I, I do you think Rice got... is defen- a defensive midfielder, Dom? Would you categorise him as that? <sighs> Again, I'd, probably not. But yeah. then who, who is now? Cal- Cal- that's who is in world football. It seems to almost be that position everyone talks about, but there seems to be very few sort of defensive midfielders. And there seems to be looking, very few teams who play like that. Even Kanteman. Yeah, yeah, even Kanteman will get forward and do things in the final third. Yeah, the the anchorman tends to be like the passing, almost the passing types, like that Michael Carrick type, who sat very, very deep. But he wasn't a sort of destroyer that people are looking for in there. Even Jorginho plays very deep for Chelsea, but he, you know, he's not a destroyer. He's a he's a he's a passer of the ball. Rodri, he's not he's not a destroyer. So who 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 are you really looking for in there? Calvin Phillips maybe is the closest I can think of in the Premier League to someone who would fit United in that position. Yeah, for being transfer, yeah, and we'll we'll see, I guess, pan out. But again, that again adds to the element, doesn't it? Because it does seem that most teams these days play with either three or all the two, and you've got someone who's a bit more defensive minded within that. But there's like very few teams do sort of operate in that way. We were going to go into the sort of twenty twenty one in review, but I guess while we're on the subject of transfers, Samuel, I guess what is the state of play for United as we approach the January transfer window? And I guess many people listening to this, it will be this first day of the window. Well, Marshall's not the only one who's asked to leave. There'll be a bit more that comes out uh, about that over the next, over the coming days, which isn't a surprise when you look at the size of the squad. Um, United are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place there in that they, they, they completely accept the squad is too big and it does need trimming. But as you've seen with the raft of postponements recently, and there's there's been another one that's uh, bitten the dust as well today with Southampton Newcastle's game being called off. Clubs are reluctant to trim the size of their squads because if there's a COVID outbreak, they need cover there. And I think it is getting to the point now, I suppose. I mean, G- Gary Neville's been quite vocal about it on Twitter about because squads are so big, it's very, very difficult Um it should be difficult rather to actually say, okay, that game can be called off because those amount of players are, are unavailable. If, if Chelsea had managed to get their game uh, against Wolves, I think it was postponed. And then the story got out that those players that were on their team sheet were available. They would have got absolute pelters, not just from fans in general, but their own fans would have given them pelters as well. Um, if there's one club that you have zero sympathy for in terms of all these COVID cases or or injuries, it's Chelsea because their, their squad's bigger than United's. They've got about 500 players out on loan across the world. There, there is always a way to, you know, to, to make, to work it out. I mean, you go back to when Marcus Rashford made his debut for United, how many players, I mean, Rooney was injured, Marshall was injured, Ashley Fletcher was out on loan, uh, James Wilson was out on loan, Will Keane got injured. That Will Keane getting injured um, is one of the main reasons why Rashford got a look in. Um, on the, in terms of the players United had available, then they could, they might have been well within their rights to actually ask the Premier League, "Can we have this game postponed because these amount of players are um, are absent?" But they never thought like that, um, and it is extraordinary circumstances now with COVID. But it is making clubs think twice about who should go. Now, the thing with Marshall, 
he has been an irrelevance for such a long time and he's only started four games this season and he wants out, it makes infinite sense to say to a club, um, to say to him that he can go on their terms. I still have my doubts whether United should be looking for a, a buying club to pay, sorry, to cover all of his wages. I think that's quite fanciful, especially since the only takers as it stands are Sevilla, who are not known for you know, spending all sorts of money on, on any player. I think their their record signing is something like £20 million. And I know this is a loan deal, but United want a loan fee for Martial and, and they want all of his wages paid. So you're talking about what, 150 grand a week, 200 grand a week. That's a hell of a lot of money for a club like Sevilla who don't have um, uh, the, 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 dimension, the dimension or dynamic of a club like Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid to be paying that amount of money for, for that kind of player just for six months or whatever it would be. Uh, beyond Martial, yeah, Phil Jones has, has got to go uh, just because he just doesn't play and he's never going to play. He's he's come close once or twice recently. But the fact that they still recalled Eric Bailly from an airport in Spain to come back because they didn't want to play Rafael Varane and they knew the alternative was Phil Jones just speaks volumes for Jones' situation. He's he's kept fit, credit to him. Now he's got to go go on, you know, reignite his career elsewhere. Um, I'm, I'm sure there would be a club out there that would take him. It's just, a, a I suppose, a test of his ambition now in terms of whether he accepts a salary reduction because that that is going to be inevitable uh, because of how, how often he's been injured, not just over the last two years, but uh, throughout his career. Um, Cavani, I can't see United letting a, another forward go. If Marshall goes, Van der Beek, the, the midfield situation at the moment where Rangnick insists on playing two there um, and, and with Pogba still not fully fit, it doesn't make much sense to let him go either. So although there are a lot of futures in, in doubt, I, I suspect that United will just miss out on, on tens of millions of pounds uh, because Pogba and Lingard will probably go at the end of the summer. They, they would they wouldn't get much of a fee for Cavani if they were to agree to even let him go in in January anyway. And if if Juan Mata does go in January, which I believe he's open to, uh, it would be a very frugal fee because he's I don't think he's actually played in the Premier League all season. He's only had two starts and he turns thirty four in April ahead of his contract expiring in June. So you're not going to get much money for him whatsoever if he does go. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, concise roundup there. Dom, if you find out our twenty twenty one review then. Um we did sort of speak about the Pokemon there as well. And Samuel, I believe you you sort of took charge of the Rich PLC ones we did it in house. I, well, I, like was, I was asked to. Yeah, I certainly didn't I think I asked them to do it, yeah. So who we'll go on to Dominus but Samuel, but Samuel, you got asked to nominate four players united sort of standout player of the calendar year so of course it's the tail end of last season and the first few months of this season as well so who were the four players you shortlisted can you remember yes it's, it's amazing how you have to specify player of the year for 2021 as in the year 2021 and people think you're talking about the player of this season even though there are five yeah. more months of it left but i whittled it down to greenwood shaw fernandez and de Gea. and my pick would be uh greenwood yeah, consistency. I think we said that we that certainly up until about September or so he wasn't as consistent forward as well, probably. And you know, he's yeah. had a bit of re renaissance in the recent weeks as well. Dom, for yourself, are there any other players you'd throw into the mix for United's player twenty twenty one or would you go with one of those four? It's slim pickings, isn't it, actually, when you think about it. I, I think that 
if you're picking a, a player of the season for last season, it was a much easier task. There were there were people who who had consistent showings across the whole of last season. The main two probably being Fernandez and Shaw. Hmm. Obviously, why why they're in Samuel's four man shortlist, but both have had pretty major tail offs since the since the season started. And you might throw Ronaldo in there, but I guess that's a bit too romantic, and he hasn't had a full year, so I, I wouldn't be saying that. I certainly wouldn't be saying De Gea because I think that. He was pretty awful for the first half of, half of the year. I know he's had a good um, response since then. So, uh, yeah, Greenwood's a good shout, to be honest with you. I think it says a lot about United's inconsistencies and the turbulent year that they've had. Different managers, you know, three three managers, if you include Michael Carrick, and a squad that is too big, wildly inconsistent, with, with big players on big wages who aren't pulling their weight. It says a lot about that situation that you can't really summarise United's 2021 in any sort of succinct, nice soundbite for this podcast. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Don't, don't worry about that. But I guess that is that is a good point as well, isn't it? When we look back on 2021 as a whole, it was a year in which United were supposed to win their first major trophy under Oligon Solskjaer. They were going to back him in the summer. They were then going to end the year in a, in a proper title race. And you know, none of that's happened. So Samuel, <laughs> when you look back on 2021, I mean, I know it's the sort of the cliche, but even just looking at that on the calendar, how we got to this stage, how is it at the end of 2021 already? How will you look back on this year covering United? Is it another one of lots of talk off the pitch and again, feeling to walk the walk when it comes to it? I said to someone at the club last week that you could literally do a news white uh, version of United on an annual basis, just what happened in January, February. And, and there was always some seismic event going on. Um, when, when our esteemed colleague James Ducker was laid low and Mike McGrath had to step in for him, I remember him dragging on a cigarette outside Old Trafford before we were going into the game, just saying how how relentless it was. Because unfortunately for him, he he stepped into the breach just as the Super League uh, thing kicked off. And then you had obviously the Europa League final. And uh, as, as much of a privilege as it was to be there, it, it wasn't fun having Rosa Klebb uh, interrogating you at border control, asking why the hell you were trying to get in the country, completely oblivious to the fact that um, this this very beautiful city was actually hosting a Europa League final. That, that, that So that wasn't great fun. But once we were in Gdansk, it was great fun. Uh, but I, th- I think relentless is, is the word to describe it. Even um, after the, the Norwich game, on that Monday, you're thinking, what other club would be embroiled in a Champions League draw controversy where it just had to be United's ball that would not be put into the draw for whatever type it was, and that compromises the integrity of a draw. You've got a COVID outbreak going on as well in the first team squad, and is their game going to be called off? Is it not going to be called off? So even when they're not playing, it's just... It's just hectic. Um, you, you, you never struggle to, to write about things in, in that sense. The, the news cycle is is utterly relentless with United, which I suppose in some ways made the, the manner of the rather unmemorable Burnley win quite um, quite welcoming. That it's 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 a quiet few days unless something seismic happens again, which uh, the, there's always got it's always got potential for. Uh, but but in summary, uh, you know, in terms of the the, the football side, it, it was clearly not a success um with, as, I, as i said i think at leicester when the goalkeeper is your front runner for player of the season the manager rarely lasts the season and so that's proven to be the case that should have happened a lot 
quicker than it did. Um, the, the mismanagement continued with the three-year contract for Solskjaer in the summer, uh, the sound bites from Woodward and, and Richard Arnold. But I, su- I suppose the Super League still, um, I mean, that, that story was, it, it really, the more you think about it, it's, it's utterly remarkable that that cartel thought that they could get away with what they were, what they were trying to pull at the time. And then that subsequently resulted in United fans uh, storming Old Trafford and getting the Liverpool game postponed. And I suppose the biggest the biggest success for United as a club this season is that there's an element of fan power back um, in that they've actually forced Joel Glazer to talk to them, which was no mean feat, given that he hadn't bothered speaking to them in, in 16 years. And now he's obliged to do that. There's going to be work done on the stadium. Uh, that wouldn't be happening if if Joel Glazer hadn't have tried to get United into the Super League as well. So there has been some uh, there have been some positives to come from the Super League, even though it was just so so treacherous. And there have been attempts in in the aftermath of that to try and depict Ed Woodward as a key person at United, and that he he resigned because he couldn't support the Super League, which just doesn't make any sense because he actually resigned from his ECA role for his support of the Super League. And then you've got people saying that, oh, apparently he had a key role in the Ronaldo re-signing, which is just preposterous. So, um, you know, Wood- Woodward stepping down, which is another positive because his his tenure has just been almost almost completely disastrous. Um, he, he, you know, he's tr- trying to double as a director of football at one point or another. It's, it's just risible, really. But this these things genuinely happened. Um, and whenever the book is written uh, about the, the United uh, United post Ferguson, there's there's so much to go at. And and 2021, uh, even though you didn't even have a preseason tour to factor into it, and a hell of a lot can happen on preseason tours, as as we know from from 2018, it was just a remarkably relentless year. And I suspect 2022 will be very similar with with a new permanent manager to come in. Yeah, you don't need to check your fan sentiment graphs to know this one's been a bit of a failure. <laughs> but, uh, Dom, I guess looking ahead to the year, I mean, it wouldn't surprise you for a year today we were recording this exact same podcast, just putting a few different names into who's been sacked and who's let them down this time or, or whatever. Um, what do you expect from that in 2022? And more importantly, what do you think will happen in 2022 at United? Well, that's a good question considering all that Samuel said that has happened in 2021 there's a few things that I couldn't predict in in that year and in 2020 as well um I don't know to be honest I think I expect them to part of me thinks that they will keep Ralph Rangnick on for another season that, that that's my my current sort of hunch about the situation uh, I know that they, they were very firm with that statement when they said that he was coming in for a a six-month role and then into a consultancy period for two years, but I think that he may he may do the sort of um, David Brent thing and say that the best person for this job is actually me. So I, I can see that happening, but it might actually be a good thing. And I think that it may take another year of of transition, if you want to call it that. As as painful as that probably is for a lot of United fans to hear, there, there needs to be a lot of changes to the squad. I think we might actually start to see them. I think that Solskjaer fudged a lot of the decisions when it came to truly making a, a call on someone's future, whether they had to go and and how much, how brutal to be with, with players. I think Solskjaer was, was quite weak on that, whereas I don't think Rangnick will, will have room for sentiment. So that's what I'd like to see 
uh, especially in the summer. It'll be a crucial summer. And then I think United may scrape top four this season. I, I do think that that can happen. I think the other teams in the top four race are very, very flaky. West Ham have shown that they're a good side, but they're, they're still West Ham and they still have a bad run of form in them. Arsenal, I don't trust Arsenal to, to maintain the form they're currently on. Um, and Spurs are Spurs. So I think that United will probably sneak that and maintain some semblance of, they might call it progression, but it isn't progression um, after after what happened last season. And it'll be about a big rebuild. So I think that, that they're the key things that I expect to happen. A big rebuild, Rangnick to stay on, um, United to finish fourth, and England to reach the final of the of the World Cup and get beaten again. There you go. There are some predictions for you. Wow, the ninth year of transition for United. Let's hope it finally yeah, happens. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Around. Yeah. I mean, like I said, who knows? And Ever. I guess the the whole point is it is so unpredictable, but the Manchester News will be with you every step of the way. Samuel Dom, thank you very much for joining us today and throughout the year on the Manchester Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Yeah, and thank you once again if you've listened wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Happy New Year to you all. We will be back again next week to discuss all the ongoings at United and look ahead again in depth maybe towards the January transfer window. Thank you very much. Take care and we'll see you again next time.